When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions about junior versus junior, standing up for greetings once you're an adult, booing the refs, reluctant hosts, and how to address holiday cards to families with multiple names. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on gifting. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I had a crazy, last-second, amazing adventure opportunity this weekend. Please, tell me more. Well, I woke up Friday morning to a normal day and was then promptly sent tickets to Las Vegas to be there Friday night which was like shocking. Talk about an adrenaline rush at 10 a.m. being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on a flight at five. What? I have a really good friend who is wonderfully generous and kind, and he wanted to gather a bunch of us for a charity poker tournament out in Las Vegas to support uh, cerebral palsy. The foundation is called One Step Closer, and it's a nonprofit whose main goal is to just ease as much as possible the lives of those who suffer from cerebral palsy. And the head of the foundation is is very good friends with my friend who flew me out there, and so he bought tickets and uh, seats at tables for a bunch of us and we all got to play and contribute and the charity got a lot of money so it was great and it was such a surprise and what a I mean, what an awesome holiday feel-good, like, thing. So I knew you had skipped town. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just now getting the details. How did you do in the tournament? I, I mean, I'm not a poker player, but I got to say, I fared pretty well a few times. I was able to have some fun with it and get in and make people question whether I knew what I was doing. So I was proud of myself. I bet you'd be good at poker. It was it was a blast. I would definitely play again. Um, but there were some serious players there. There there were also some fun celebrities there. Norm MacDonald was there, and he is very funny in person. Cheryl Hines was there. Montel Williams. Um, just some real fun, interesting characters. And uh, our whole group was a real good-hearted, fun group. So it was it was fun to see everyone just go after it. And, and all for they... a good cause. <laughs> yeah, all for a good cause. I posted a link to the a video about the foundation to my Twitter page, and it's pinned up at the top. So please go check Check out Twitter. I'm at Lizzie A. Post, and uh, you can check out the video and see if the uh, One Step Closer Foundation is something you'd like to support. I'll take a look. Thank you. Because I wasn't the only one traveling and having a crazy time. You've been in New York City. I'm about to catch a flight to New York City in a couple hours. We're like, what is going 
going on. We're a couple ships in the night right now, yeah. except we're passing in the day <laughs> and recording a podcast. <laughs> How was your trip? It was really nice. It's always fun, as we talked about on the last show, to visit New York in the holiday season. And New York delivered. It's really a remarkable place. (laughs) I have to say there is a certain quality to the hustle and bustle of New York, that, that packed, concentrated bit of humanity that is the Big Apple. Do you feel like you're in the holiday spirit? I, we usually get some kind of like a business or media trip at this time of the year, which puts us in New York City. And I always feel like it injects me with the holiday spirit. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do my shopping and my cards and bake the candy and, and hang the stockings because we celebrate Christmas in my family. Like, did it do it? Yes. <laughs> no, the, the um, holiday season up to my eyeballs and Vermont is turning into Vermont in the holiday as well. Yeah. It, it really is nice. Hey, you did something the other weekend that I missed out on and I was really bummed about. Y'all went to the um, Festival of Lights, right? We did. How was it? The small town of Waterbury, Vermont, has developed its own little tradition and it is so spectacularly beautiful. And uh-huh. I expected it to be very small town and very charming the first time I went, which was three or four years ago yeah. now. And it, a good percentage of the town turns out. People make paper lanterns. Oh, and cool. And it's kind of a solstice-y yeah, yeah. nighttime event. And people parade through the town and then into the, the local rec field. And there's a bonfire and hot chocolate. Oh, my gosh. Like, really? Norman Rockwell, hello? <laughs> yes. And, but the whole of Main Street is the sea of paper lantern oh. lights. And, and the rest of the community turns out to watch. Well, next year I'm going. You must. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we hope that you all are getting excited about the holiday season and to ring in a new year. But before we get to any of the celebrating, we've got questions to answer. Let's get to it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND at 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is an etiquette quickie, and it's titled Junior vs. Junior, which is junior spelled out versus junior abbreviated. In a listing on a debutante program, would the parents of the debutante be listed with junior spelled out or abbreviated? For example, would a listing read Mr. and Mrs. Robert William Smith, comma, junior spelled out with a lowercase j? Or Mr. and Mrs. Robert William Smith, comma, Jr. with a capital J and a period because it's abbreviated, J-R, period. Thank you so much for your help, Carla. Carla, I love questions about titles. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We got to do a good one last week and... We're returning to this subject this week, but I know Lizzie Post actually did some research on this. She went back into some old editions of I Etiquette. I did. I did with my mama. <laughs> I fully admit I picked up the bat line to Trisha Post, put out the signal to our encyclopedia. But we did. We looked this one up in a couple different places. And really, it's a matter of choice. And whichever you choose, you want to be consistent. Um, so if your invitations were of the utmost formality and using the comma with the lowercase j and junior spelled out, you might consider having your programs also match um, in, that, in that fashion, and I would make sure that everyone who is using a junior or senior is spelled out in such a way. Nowadays, it's much more common to see the comma junior abbreviated with the capital J, R, and then the lowercase r in the period. It's what people are more used to seeing. I personally think it looks better. Something about that capitalization of junior, I think, looks a bit more formal to me than the comma in the lowercase. That's just my personal opinion. Our wedding sixth edition on page, I think it's 108, says that junior and senior may be abbreviated. More formally, they're written out in lowercase for the invitation. Again, we're talking about a program, a little bit different. No matter what, both formats use a comma. So yeah, it's really kind of up to you. I know sometimes these debutante programs are really setting a very formal tone. So that might be a choice you want to make. But I also like the way you're thinking about just the look of that capital JR. It looks like a title that people are familiar with. So there's that consideration as well. Carla, we hope that this helps and we hope that all the Debs have a wonderful season. Our next question is delightfully titled, Age Up, Sit Down. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I recently started listening to your show and it's been so helpful. I really enjoy learning about all the different areas of life that etiquette plays into. My question is about a tradition my parents taught me. Because of the many activities I'm involved in, I end up meeting a lot of people who are older than me. I'm a teenager, and I've always been taught to rise from my seat when I'm introduced to someone older than me. This has come in handy in the past, especially when I meet socially important people, i.e. a senator. People have generally appreciated this as a gesture of respect, which is the message I want to send. My question is this. As I get older, should I always stand up when I meet an older person or just when they are socially higher than me? Basically, what are the rules about standing when you meet people? Thanks again for your show, and I can't wait to hear your advice. Best wishes, Sarah. 
Okay, can we just start off with everybody questions teenagers and their etiquette, and I'm so sick of it because we have so many teenagers who listen to this show and who pay attention and who care and who ask questions and who are excited about the ways in which etiquette can be a part of so many different parts of their lives. And this is just such a prime example of a teen who is thinking about traditions, but also thinking about just how life changes as you get older and when are you considered an adult when are you on equal footing this is a smart smart gal thank you sarah (laughs) and i would just like to make the pitch that by the time you're asking a question like this you're pretty much ready for adult etiquette (laughs) all right dan give us the answer i really like rising when i meet people and i would generally give this advice to just about anyone it's a good question and it comes up yeah there is a a traditional social expectation that women didn't always rise Mm -hmm. when they met people old school etiquette there if you were to carry this forward you might say as you emerged into your adulthood as a woman there would be social situations where you didn't necessarily rise when you met someone for the first time. I really like everyone standing up when they meet each other. I think it's a great way to make eye contact, to meet as equals, to show respect to everyone. And I I love the emphasis on respect here Mm because it really is a good way to show respect. And I think most people want to be showing that respect to everyone, regardless of social standing, rank, hierarchy in an organization, (laughs) age. There are times when being aware of those hierarchies is important. When you're talking about order of introduction or ways to identify a person who you want to show a little extra respect to. But I think this base level of rising when we meet people for the first time is something I would shoot for in most situations. I couldn't agree more. Sarah, I hope that that helps. And keep up the awesome etiquette. Kids don't need manners. Manners are just for grown-ups. I think you're wrong about that. Someday you'll find it out. Our next question is titled, Hey, Ref! Hello. I know you two are big sports fans, and I've often wondered how you feel about booing the ref or the other team. Is it all in good fun and part of the sporting atmosphere as long as comments don't get too personal or vicious? Or do you abstain altogether? Best, Sydney. Best question ever. (laughs) We say that all the time, but I think it might be true. (laughs) Okay, so do we give the advice that we should give, or do we... Talk honestly about our own behavior here. Wait, I was worried that you didn't do this. And Let's face it, you get caught up in the moment sometimes. At UVM hockey games, man, I jump out of my seat like my tail is on fire. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Da, da, da. Just get squeaky and loud. But at the same time, our real etiquette advice that when we are not so emotionally charged is what we try to aim for all the time is that you don't boo with the refs. They're making calls throughout the entire game. And man, if they get one or two wrong, bad calls in a game, that's like what, like a 98% like, success, success rate? rate? Like, come on. You're really going to just totally go after them for the one. But at the same time, it, it happens. Because <laughs> you were a ref. Okay, I was. Yeah. I started my work as a referee back when I was a varsity hockey player. Yeah, yeah. And I ended up the head ref for Harwood Youth Hockey. I refed a lot of youth hockey <laughs> when I was a teenager. <laughs> And I couldn't respect the the job more. They're really important. Yeah. They have to be there for the game to happen. And it's hard. 
at the same time, there is something to when a really bad call happens and the, the whole stadium or arena boos. And I think that as long as it doesn't get disrespectful, as long as it doesn't get angry and and too upset in a way that would make the people around you feel uncomfortable, responding to a call, is, it's, it's one of the ways a home crowd starts to sway a game <laughs> or push a game in a certain direction. I do think there's room for it within good etiquette. But I do think that some self-awareness about how you do it and the levels at which it starts to become just obnoxious to yeah. the people around you is okay. is something to think about. I'm envisioning okay things to shout are boo, right? Because that's just boo. Or, oh, come on. What about what else would you put in the okay territory? I think you're in my, my favorite territory. Yeah. I, that, boo that, and That boo and and... Is it the best etiquette? Is it really <laughs> considerate? No, but I do think good-natured trash-talking is often a part of competition. Okay, do you remember the NFL piece that we did recently? And it was Gentlemen of the Game. It was something like, look it up on YouTube. NFL Films came and did it. And we talk about trash-talking in it. And it's fascinating to see the guys in their moments of trash-talk and then in their moments of apology afterwards. <laughs> It's true. And and there's something about competition and it's nice to have a full range of human expression. We talk about uh, manners and social expectations mm-hmm. being culturally specific mm-hmm. and specific to certain arenas is a, a mm-hmm. language we often use. In this case, we'll we'll use that term very literally. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think there is a space. But one of the reasons I love this question is there's lots of angles to it. Yeah. And your father, when he's teaching business etiquette, uses an example from his own personal life here in Vermont. The <laughs> University of Vermont hockey team is the closest thing we have to a professional sports franchise. And a lot of people go to the games. It's a real place to see and be seen as well as watch some good hockey. And the way you behave and conduct yourself at a UVM hockey game is part of your reputation in the community. It's an example that Peter Post uses when he's teaching to talk about the 24-7 professional and how eyes are always potentially on you. And it's important to think about that and have that awareness, both socially as well as professionally. Something else we hear a lot about is the behavior of parents at youth events, youth sporting events, where people get really emotionally caught up. And I think this would be an appropriate time to also remind all those very invested parents out there that you want to set a good example in your community, but also for the kids that you're there to support. Sydney, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to dive into this deliciously fun part of etiquette. We want to remind everyone that at the end of the day, really keeping the intention and the spirit jovial and fun is the way to make any shouting at any sports game more appropriate. What would a good sport do now? What would you do? Joe does play fair. He accepts the referee's ruling. Then everyone can have more fun. Our next question is about the reluctant host. Hello. Next weekend, there is going to be a co-ed baby shower at my house. I do know the parents-to-be, but I'm not close to them. I see these people maybe once a quarter. Nevertheless, my wife offered our house as a venue for their baby shower. Other than the parents-to-be, I do not know one of the 45 guests they, the parents-to-be, have invited to our home, their baby shower. I am helping my wife with the cleaning and decorating of the shower so that my wife does not do it herself. That being said, my question to you is how much hosting responsibility do my wife and I have during the shower? We understand this event is happening at our house, but we do not know, nor did we invite the guests. So would I be talking out of school if I were to say these are not mine and my wife's guests, but the guests of the parents-to-be? 
We plan on being physically present during the shower because this is our house. But we honestly do not think it is our responsibility to greet and tend to the guests during the shower. In fact, we think it should be the responsibility of the father-to-be and the friends of the mother-to-be. If we are wrong, please let us know. Thank you, Connor. Connor, I really appreciate the question because showers are interesting. You often have a guest of honor and all of their friends, and you do wind up in this situation where you as the host may really not know many of the guests at all. It's a really common situation, but because you've offered your house, and maybe it depends on how the house was offered. If it was, oh my gosh, you know, we had everything planned out and now the venue fell through, and it's really that someone else is hosting this and you're just saving them at the last minute, that's one thing. But it doesn't sound like the situation here. If you've offered to have a shower at your house, you are at least a co-host in my mind. And you should be down there serving drinks and collecting uh, trays and empty food and, and replenishing and greeting folks and welcoming them to your home. These people are in your house. As much as you might feel strange about that, they're going to feel even stranger because it's your home. At least you have home turf credit here, you know. But I think you really want to make sure that you greet folks at the door, that your guest of honor and her family especially feel very welcome. Definitely lean on some folks, I would say, like those other kind of co-hosty type people. I would not lean on the guest of honor. The guest of honor should really get to participate in the party. And in this case, if it's a Jack and Jill shower, that guest of honor is also the father-to-be. So he definitely is not in a play host role and cater to everybody. He's one of the guests of honor, in my opinion, if, if it's a Jack and Jill shower, which they said co-ed baby shower. So I'm not quite sure if it just means that both men and women will be attending the shower or if it's actually to honor both the parents. We're hearing about more of these co-ed showers. Yours was a co-ed shower. It was great. Absolutely was. Yeah. And you were definitely a guest of honor at your shower. Your family did kind of the the heavy lifting of the, the hosting and you did the right thing of getting to talk to the guests, thank them, appreciate them, talk about the pregnancy that you hadn't been able to share yet in person. I mean, you really were a great guest of honor. Thank you. Uh-huh. And our host made it really easy. And I like your point of emphasis on playing a host for the guests of honor in particular, really identifying them. They are guests of honor. And that's a a nice place to start your hosting duty. I also like the, the specifics, the ideas that this is really your home and the roles that you play as a host, making people feel comfortable in that space are going to be the most important roles. There are yeah. some social roles that you're just not going to be as well equipped to play. And that's mm-hmm. where those hosting allies are going to come into play and it might be a good idea to start to engage some of them as early as possible, particularly if you're not in good communication with them. I want to offer that we often talk about a frame shift from a feeling of obligation to a feeling of opportunity. I'm so glad you're going here because the thing I wanted to address is right now we've got this kind of attitude of, I don't, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not certain about this. This isn't like, I don't know anybody here. And I want to give Connor the confidence. So give Connor the confidence, Dan. Here's my opportunity thought. You've already done the hard work here. You're going to help decorate. (laughs) You've opened your home to other people. That probably means you're going to be cleaning up afterwards as well. Hopefully there'll be some help doing that. But there will be some things that are going to fall on you because it's your home and you're going to know how to get them back to the way they were before this whole thing began. I say enjoy the other parts of hosting. Those are That's the easier part in my mind. And it's yeah. the part where you get to be a part of the party and be a host and 
and meet some new people, maybe, and host a shower and feel good about hosting a shower. You've done the hard work. I say seize the the social opportunity to really engage, make some new friends, play that role of the generous, gracious host well. And I imagine there will be real rewards. People will appreciate it. People are going to play their role of guest well as you match them as a host. And that is going to involve them thanking you and really being genuinely appreciative of the work and the effort that you've made and the generous spirit that you bring to your home and this party that's going to happen there. I love the idea of looking at it as an opportunity to put a lot of feel-good energy out there. And I think that that is the way you get the frame shift to happen from, oh my gosh, this is starting to make me nervous and uncomfortable, to wait a minute. I can make this the best darn shower for this gal and her husband and make sure that they feel really supported and that their friends feel like they're having a great time. Connor, we really hope that this makes you feel a bit more comfortable about being an awesome host of this shower. No, it isn't hard to start a new friendship. And it isn't hard to be generous. That's one way to be friendly. See how it works? Our next question is titled, The Family Who? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm listening to your post-Thanksgiving episode now and thinking about the approaching holidays, specifically about sending greeting cards. We keep an address list spreadsheet of the 100 or so friends and family to send a card to each year. And we have a column for last name, first name one, and first name two, say for a partner or spouse. I even added a column for mailing names, so when addressing the envelopes, it might read, for example, the Post family, or Dan and Pooja Post. My question is how to appropriately address a label to a family where the heads of the household have different last names, and they have kids. Would it be the Post family, or the Post sending family, or the Post and Post sending family, or something different altogether? First names? All the first names, including the kids? This is a holiday card, not an invitation. But still, I'd like to respect everyone and the name they've chosen. Editorial note, I don't recall if you've ever said what name Pooja has taken or kept, but I was attempting your names as an example. Happy holidays, and thank you for your wonderful show. Sincerely, Cards from Clark. Clark, options abound here. And before we get into them, I just want to give you etiquette gold stars for your holiday card spreadsheet. I am picturing a a very useful tool here. You want one, don't you? I'm so jealous. You are so jealous. I'm so jealous. Dan's alley, can't you tell? (laughs) And I've heard about this, and I I I know the people in my family who have tools like this. And yes, it's an aspirational moment for me. You want to know what my friends and, and my method are? Please. We all text each other every single year asking for our addresses. <laughs> Nobody goes back to the previous year and saves them. Anyway. No, great. Kudos. Kudos to the effort for sure. So I think your good spirit is what's going to carry the day here. That when you're thinking about essentially the outer envelope for a holiday card, I really like the, the family name, yeah. the Sennings. Or yeah. if, if it's a family where there are two family names and it's hyphenated, I would just use that hyphenated family name, yeah, the post Sennings. Sometimes they're not hyphenated. My best friend, for instance, is Estelle Mariano. Her husband is uh, Brendan Turner, and they have two daughters whose last names are Turner. And so what I do when I write to her is I say, if I want to do it like that family name, I say to the Turner and Mariano family. And it's just the Turner space, no hyphen or anything, Mariano family or the Mariano Turner family. But that way you're getting both the parents' names in there because together those last names create the family and you're covering the kids because the kids are Turners. Well said. 
actually also like the option of putting everybody's first names on it. I think that yeah. that's that's cute too. It could get really lengthy, but you know, it works. I could imagine seeing yours as like Dan and Pooja. I think that's what I had your stamp say, Dan and Pooja, and then the thing. I don't think it actually said the last name post or sending on it. And I'm thinking it would be absolutely adorable if I saw something that said Dan, Pooja, and Anisha. Yeah, and then just like not even the last names, but just the address under that. Because this is a holiday card, you're not necessarily held to the highest standards of formality. And what I said sort of jokingly at the start about your good spirit and sense of wonder and the holidays carrying you through here, I do think applies and it gives you some latitude. But I, I like principles of inclusion really guiding you as you think about what you're doing here. You want to um, address everyone and address them in the ways that I think you're most likely to address them if you were to see them in person. You really want to think about what they like and what makes them comfortable and go ahead and use that when you're addressing that envelope. Clark, we hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you for your questions. You can send updates and comments about the answers we give or the questions you've heard to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And this week, we're going to start with feedback from Aaron, who wrote in regarding the Clean Plate Club. Hi, Ms. Post and Mr. Post Sunning. Thank you for your show. It's helped me think through the areas in which I make assumptions about the motivations of others. Aaron, I'm going to stop for half a second and say I have been in this territory lately as well. Dan has heard me say it. I've even told you at the office at times, like, Dan, I'm hearing you say something and I am assuming the very worst. Like, here's where I think you're coming from. And he's like, no, Liz, I just don't hate you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I think it is awesome when you can take a minute and realize that sometimes your assumptions about motivations are just that. They are assumptions and to be really cautious about putting a lot of emotional investment into them. Awesome. Okay. Aaron continues. Upon hearing about the clean plate club dilemma, I was immediately reminded of a funny family story. When my husband and I had been dating for several months, we went to visit my parents in another city. We stayed with them for the weekend, during which my husband kept complaining that he was uncomfortably full after meals. After every meal, he would say something like, I ate too much. I'll be full for a week. I kept thinking, then why did you keep eating? But I assumed he was trying to compliment my mom's cooking. It wasn't until we became engaged and he'd spent several visits uncomfortably stuffed that we finally sorted it out. Irish custom in my family dictates that one bit of food should remain on the plate to indicate that your host has been generous and that you are too full for any more food. Whereas my husband was raised in a clean plate club household, he resolutely finished everything that was served to him. And my mother, assuming that he was still hungry regardless of his protestations, would refill his plate immediately. It's still something we all laugh about. My mom has learned to listen when my husband says, no, thank you. And my husband will sometimes leave a little bit of her delicious meatloaf on the plate just to be sure she feels like a generous hostess. And we can all be grateful that we have enough food to cause a misunderstanding in the first place. Aaron, isn't that just awesome feedback? I like it. People are meeting. They're finding that common ground. And it's a a, a good story that illustrates the debate that is the Clean Play Club debate. It really does. Aaron, thank you so much for sharing. Our next piece of feedback begins. Dear Dan and Lizzie, 
Thank you for your podcast. In a sometimes inconsiderate world, your show gives me regular hope for courtesy and helps me manage the moments in my life when my own initial impulse may be less than desirable. I am working my way through some past episodes that I missed, and I have a little input on episode 134, in which an enthusiastic home cook was asking about monetary contributions towards dinner parties. My husband and I lead busy lives and struggled for some time finding a way to see our many friends as often as we would like. We ended up deciding on a weekly open house night at our house. We are a little unusual, I am sure, in that we welcome a variable number of people, 4 to 20, but usually averages 8 to 10, over to our house on a weeknight without asking for RSVP. But we enjoy it, and it has met our needs. Most weeks we cook. We have an email group where we post our food plans for the entree and ask for various contributions, like a potluck, but also say that monetary contributions towards the groceries are welcome. We have an envelope in a discreet location in our kitchen where people can throw in but do not monitor it. Everyone contributes as best fits their ability and budget. Some who can do neither offer their help with cleanup instead, which is much appreciated, especially on larger attendance nights. We are fortunate enough to not need this money per se, but as we are providing large portions of the food and we are often dipping into a few bottles from our wine cellar each week, it does help. The money also is sometimes used for the rare weeks when cooking is beyond us and we order takeout, or sometimes others volunteer to cook the entree and take a little from the envelope for their expenses. This is a 100% honor system. It has worked for us for near two decades now, minus only two or three weeks a year when we are traveling. Somehow our friends hit the perfect balance between food contributions, helping with cooking, monetary support, and offering to help with cleanup. When we first started these nights, the initial group of people agreed on this format, and each new person who has been invited since has been indoctrinated by whomever brought them in. Regular attendees often use this night to introduce new friends to our larger social group. Longtime regular attendees are good about checking in with us periodically to make sure the format is still working for us and help us adjust as needed. My situation is fairly unusual, I think, so we have done the best we could in opening our home to our friends. I hope my tale may be of help and does not violate any etiquette rules that are unbeknownst to me for hosting. Thank you again, Lisa. Lisa, I just want to commend you. I think this is amazing. I think this is exactly the kind of dream situation you hope for. I love the description of the balance between the different ways people can contribute. I love that longtime members of this group are checking in. The very start of your description reminded me of the purpose of a cocktail party, that cocktail parties can really be this amazing thing that's a catch-all for reciprocal invitations. It can be a bring-your-own booze kind of a thing, you know, bring your own whatever, bring your own food, bring your own booze kind of a thing where you also, your guests can then take it home with them when they go. That's that's one of the rules of BYOB. But the open-ended invitation I love will be home from X time to X time. Come on over, have drinks, a little food. You're welcome for as long as you want. I love that aspect of a cocktail party. But then you go in to describe something that's even more than that. And it's been going on for two decades. I would actually love to kind of do a write-up of this style and the way that it developed so that people could use it you know, and float the idea to their friends and say, listen, this is how these folks do it and it works really well and everyone feels really good about it. If our group followed this, we might have a really rockin' weekly get-together. Clearly the proof is in the pudding. I love this. This has worked so well for so long. There's so much buy-in. I really like hearing about how it started, that it started off by an agreement 
among this group of people totally. and that there's a real effort made when there are newcomers to be sure yeah. they understand the way this whole system works and has worked. It's so nice. It's so nice. I also got to add that there's a PS on this. Lisa wants to say shout out to my friends whose own kindness and courtesy make doing this possible. And we want to add our shout out to Lisa and to this group for being models of such good behavior. Yes, friendships are worth having. At home, at school, it's fun to be with our friends. And it isn't hard to be courteous. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript topic was almost last week's Postscript topic, but we pretty much had to flip a coin. You superseded (laughs) me because it was right to do so. But today we're going to talk about gift-giving etiquette, another important topic for the holiday season. Absolutely. And we're also going to talk about gift-receiving etiquette. So I'm going to take us off with gift-giving etiquette. And many of you have heard this. This is an annual conversation on this show. So quiz yourself. See if you can guess which points we're going to talk about this year. But the number one point, are you ready for it? Shout out the answer if you know it when it comes to gift-giving is and always will be stick to your budget. You are never obligated to get gifts if you cannot afford them. You are never obligated to get gifts of certain expense levels. Gift giving should really come from the heart. It should be something that you can feel good about. Nobody feels good about it when they're stretching their wallet beyond their means. So please always remember that at the very least, your words are absolutely free and can be one of the most amazing gifts that you give. That quality, homemade DIY gifts can be incredibly heartwarming and touching. Some of the things we've heard about over the years are recipe books, books of words of encouragement. If you are good at crafting things like quilts, scarves, sweaters, Dan, you received an amazing little baby hat from one of our listeners that was just one of the most perfectly knitted things I've ever seen in my life. Those kinds of things can be incredibly meaningful despite having often lower cost thresholds to cross. Really, really important to hear this message. Stick to your budget. One of the other things when it comes to gift giving is I know I can be that person at the store hemming and hawing over whether or not to give the green one or the blue one or the this size or the that size. And I always hear my father's voice in my head that says, Lizzie, they're never going to know what the other option was. And it gives me that moment to be like, oh, that's right. Okay. Green it is. (laughs) You can get overwhelmed trying to come up with the best gift or a gift that was better than last year's or a gift that's going to be better than what they get you. And it, it can feel like no gift is good enough. Keep it really simple. Golfers like golf balls. Writers might like pens, you know. Keep it really, really simple and stick to the hobbies and interests that you know about the people you love and care about or are gifting to this year. When in doubt, consumables are often a great way to go. Gift cards, gift certificates can also be a wonderful option if you're really unsure. But keep it simple. That way you don't stress and more likely they're going to get something that they really like and want rather than something that's kind of like, oh, that was a really creative, interesting thought. It's so true. The oldest cliches are the oldest cliches because we say them the most because they're true. And I think the oldest cliche about gift giving is it really is the thought that counts. So if you make an effort to connect personally, think about that other person. Think about what 
they would like. Think about what honors your relationship with them. Make an effort to personalize that gift with a little note or if you're giving it in person with a thought about that connection or how much you value the relationship. It's really that that connection and that thought that will give the gift the significance that it deserves. The last thing I want to say about gift giving is that remember that you don't have to be on equal footing with the people that you are exchanging gifts with. So you don't have to up your ante just because they might be able to afford or give more to you or because last year your sister gave you a gift that was like really special and maybe you knew it was a price range larger than yours. You don't have to up the ante and try and um, do better than you did last year or match what someone else has been able to give you in the past. Again, that goes back to sticking to your budget, but it sometimes comes in the form of feeling an obligation to give back in the same way that you're receiving. And gift giving isn't about that. It's about that intention that Dan speaks of. It's about wanting to do something nice for someone else, not the level of nice that that occurs at. Something else that's important to think about with gift giving is the way you receive a gift. And the exchange is really where I think the experience of gift giving becomes an important ritual in all of our lives. Dan Setting, will you please deliver the line that I thought was so amazing that you came up with? It's our perfect holiday gifting line. It's my old cliche now. I like to say, receive the gift in the spirit of generosity with which it was given. And <laughs> that means you thank a person and you appreciate that thought that they put into the gift. And however you feel about the gift itself, and it might be the thing that you love. It might be <laughs> exactly what you were hoping to get from them and they nailed it and it flows very naturally and easily to be appreciative and to thank them. You can always, even for that gift that doesn't hit the mark in the same way, appreciate the thought, appreciate the effort, appreciate the generosity of the person who gave that gift to you. So a big smile and a big thank you are really your your most important jobs when it comes to receiving a gift from someone. Oh, my gosh, Dan, thank you so much. This is so thoughtful of you. You're most welcome. It was my pleasure. Oh, buddy. It's okay if you don't have a gift to give in return. Just focus on the moment that you're spending with that person. And it's something that I kind of alluded to when we started here. And I just want to flesh out the idea a little bit that sometimes people think of gift giving as something that's that's very superficial. Yeah. And I really like to, to shift the thinking about gift giving and to start thinking about it as not an obligation, not something we have to do this time of year, but as an opportunity, an opportunity to show appreciation to the people in our lives that we're connected to. And to ritualize an experience of of showing that appreciation, receiving it, and thanking someone for it. And that's an important ritual in life, the experience of expressing gratitude and receiving gratitude and connecting with people around us is a rich opportunity. And I hope that you experience many of these opportunities this holiday season. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's comes from Angela. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for always putting on a great podcast. I listen every Monday when the new episode shows up in my feed. I want to send out a salute to an awesome bride, Katie, whom I have never met, in Colorado. I make and sell wedding items online and recently had a mishap with the post office. This happens from time to time, but in this instance, the post office completely lost her package, and it was for her to display at her wedding. 
Needless to say, it did not make it in time or ever. But instead of getting angry or upset, as would be expected since it was for her wedding, Katie took it all in stride. She was extremely understanding and kind through the whole process of trying to locate it, and never once did she get upset with me. A lot of times, customers will put the blame on the seller, even though postal mishaps are out of our control. But not Katie. She was extremely understanding and even left me a great review after her wedding when she received the replacement item I made for her. I just want to thank Katie for her awesome etiquette and not letting an unfortunate situation ruin her big day. All my best, Angela. You gotta love it when the whole idea of Bridezilla gets just bashed and blown out of the water by a bride who can really focus on taking control of a situation and understanding that not everything is in her control. I love that she made the effort to leave a good review. I know, right? And just wonderful exchange. Angela, we are so glad you had this awesome etiquette experience. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Angela. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Or become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Chris. And remember, if you're a good sport, everyone will like you better. And what's most important, you'll feel better about yourself.